You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. The Mets found a way to win another series on Sunday in a back-and-forth game, and Mark Canna became the hero. Two late home runs, one to tie the game, Another to put the Mets up, and they just hold on to complete the victory and also their season series with the Phillies, winning 14 of the 19 games. On the show today in the first segment, going to talk about that wild game on Sunday. In the second segment, we'll talk about the other games of this series, and then I'm going to close out the show doing a little bit of a dive on Trevor Williams and what he's meant to the Mets this season. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Fickelstein. If you want to find any of my work, Follow me on Twitter at FickelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com where I work as the managing editor. Now we got to spend the first segment just focusing in on the most recent game because the Mets had another great opportunity here to win a series against a division rival and to close out their season series strong against a Phillies team that they've owned this year. But they went into this game with some long odds because Jose Budo was taking the ball for the Mets. I talked about this on Friday's show that we could see him top prospect in the Mets system, one of their best pitching prospects, but a guy that really wasn't ready for the big leagues. He was tasked into action because Taiwan Walker couldn't go still dealing with that bulging disc in his back. You know, earliest we see him is Tuesday against the Yankees. If Buck Showalter wants to split up his aces and have Scherzer go on Monday and have DeGrom start off the next series. That way, you don't have them you know, going back-to-back games where the rest of your rotation is a little more of a question mark. That could be the strategy, but the bottom line was Walker was not going to start this game, and with Trevor Williams being tasked with one of those starts in the doubleheader on Saturday, they needed a spot starter, so Budo gets the call. And again, you know, he just got promoted to AAA. This was not the time for him. And as much as we can look at the final line, and it was not pretty, he gave up seven runs, you got to give the kids some credit to get the Mets through four innings. In that first inning, it was looking like Thomas Abucky's start with the Mets this year, the only other spot starter they've had all season, thanks to Trevor Williams, I might add, but we're going to talk about him at the end of the show today. Budo is going through it. He gives up the first of what ended up being two three-run homers that he allowed to Alec Bohm. In that first inning, you thought, is he even going to record an out at one point? Is he even going to get through an inning? He not only gets through that inning, he gets through the next couple unscathed to give the Mets a chance to get back in it. In the top of the second, they get two runs as Michael Perez has another RBI hit. He had a hit in the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday, too. So crazy that here is a catcher the Mets basically picked up off the scrap heap, and he's giving them good defense and actually some timely hitting which has been a welcome surprise in this series. They get another run in the following inning as Daniel Vogelback drives in a run with an RBI double. Starling Marte then drove in the tying run in the fourth inning on a single. And so the Mets go into the bottom of the fourth, evened up. 
Jose Budo goes back out to face lineup a third time through. Probably not the best call because he ends up giving up another three-run homer. Again, Alec Bohm hits it out. And so he has a pretty ugly line when you look at it, but he still got the Mets through that fourth inning. And Nate Fisher comes on, another rookie making his MLB debut. And Fisher was amazing. This guy has such a crazy story. 26 years old, undrafted, uh, you know, had his journeys throughout the minor leagues, took a job in finance before deciding to come back and, and pitch. And here he is in the big leagues. And he was warming up in the first inning. So he was just throwing pitches all day. This is your dream, kid. Go out, Nate Fisher. This is your one chance to, to prove yourself uh, and live out what you've wanted to your entire life. So guess what? We don't care about the health of your arm. The Mets were just throwing him out there. See what happens. And Nate Fisher gives the Mets three scoreless innings. The MVP of this game, if not for Mark Canna doing what he did in the late innings, but to get that to save the bullpen, you might not see Nate Fisher again, but if this Mets team goes on to win a World Series and he gets a ring out of it, you know what? He played a key figure in this one. Just crazy to, to see him come through. And, you know, I, I wouldn't take too much from his performance and suddenly say, hey, Nate Fisher is the lefty reliever the Mets are going to count on from now on. But he had some good stuff. He had a good breaking ball. He threw strikes. And he got the Mets through some really crucial innings there that they desperately needed. But you get to this point. He also pitched through a rain delay, I should also add. So that was another layer of difficulty that was thrown in for Fisher. His final inning, though, was actually holding a tie ball game, which was surprising the Mets kept him in there for the bottom of the seventh because in the top of the seventh, Mark Canna ties the ball game, hitting a three-run homer, which was massive. Canna has really started to come on as of late. Tyler Naquin struggling. You're seeing Canna get more everyday playing time again, and he's really thriving. Uh, the Mets get through that seventh inning tie, but then Trevor May ends up giving up a homer himself in the bottom of the eighth. So suddenly the Mets are once again at a deficit. But what does this team do? They fight back time and again. And Mark Canna just put together the game that he'll be remembered for this season. There's no doubt about it. First, Jeff McNeil leads things off. McNeil, by the way, had an unbelievable series. Defensively, so many plays he made laying out. There was the one play where it was, I think, bases loaded, and there was a flare that he made an all-extension diving catch to grab. That was in game two of the doubleheader on Saturday. Made a diving catch in the field today. Had some crazy double play turns. Was just all over the place at second base defensively and offensively. I mean, we're going to do a deep dive on him at some point this week. He's really making a push for a batting title, if not for Paul Goldschmidt being the hottest hitter on the planet for an entire season and really not going through any slumps. This would maybe be a little bit more of a competition, but McNeil is really in the mix. He's hitting well over 400 over his last 20 plus games, and he's hit safely in 22 of his last 24 games played. He went eight for 18 this series. And he went three for five on Sunday, collecting two doubles, the second of which came to lead off the ninth. It seemed like all series, he was just ripping line drives into the right field corner, had another one there. That put a runner on for Mark Canna. Canna goes through another great at bat, ends up hitting a home run. This all came, of course, against David Robertson, the closer of the Phillies now, who the Mets could have had at the deadline and really missed that opportunity. Now they at least 
put some damage on him. He had been perfect up to that point as far as scoreless appearances for the Phillies. Canna dings him with the two-run homer. That was huge. You see Mark does a crazy bat flip. He holds his arms in the air when he's around the bases. Just an awesome moment for him. Brandon Nimmo ends up going deep as well. So that gave the Mets an extra insurance run that they ultimately needed. They get to 10 runs on the game. Then Edwin Diaz comes on and you think, all right, uh, one, two, three, this will be so easy. Back end of that Phillies lineup. And look, Edwin has not pitched much because there hasn't been the save opportunities. So he was rusty. Gives up two hits. The Phillies were ambushing, swinging on the first pitch. Then two deep fly balls, both of them you know, moving runners up. The second one obviously being a sack fly that gets the Phillies within one. Really dangerous spot. There's a really long at bat against Gene Segura who hit a, a big home run to put the Phillies up. He hit that homer off Trevor May. So obviously you had to be careful with him. He ends up walking Segura but ultimately gets a strikeout to notch another save, and this Mets team just survives. The Braves lost on Sunday, so now they move back to four games up in this division, a two-game set now against the Yankees, a day off, then four against the Rockies, and then after that, another series at home. I'm drawing a blank on who they play after Colorado, but this is a really critical time for this Mets. I think it's the Dodgers after the Rockies, but that's at home. Uh, so you're at this point here where the Mets had to get through this next week and change against a couple more good teams than the Yankees and the Dodgers, but they're getting to that soft part of their schedule and they just cleared that big divisional hurdle. What they've done now, if you look at their season series against the Phillies, as I already mentioned, 14 of 19 games they won. And if you expand it out and you look at, their remaining schedule against the NL East, they have a three-game set against Washington um, at home, a three-gamer in Miami, a two-gamer against Miami at home. They have three in Atlanta at the end of September into October. That could very well decide the division. And then three at home to close the season against Washington. And they've only lost one series the entire year against an NL East team. That series they just lost to the Braves, their divisional record. When it comes to series, is 14 series wins, one loss, two ties. They're actually make that 15 now with this victory. So just incredible. That is how you win a division, and this Mets team can keep rolling from here. I want to talk about how the offense really exploded this weekend. We're going to get to that in just a minute here. But first, BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs, find out all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting to scores and podcasts that have you covered. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now, the New York Mets got this series off with a couple of victories, and the offense really carried the day. Game one on Friday night, Chris Bassett on the hill. The Mets got a quality start from him, and early in the game, it was all Pete Alonso. Gets an RBI's fielder's choice in the first. Then he hit a two-run homer in the third. That was his 30th of the season. 
put him at 102 RBIs with that homer. Uh, Jeff McNeil also got an RBI hit in the third. Um, and then in the fifth, the Mets completed a double steal to record another run. This was just showing the difference between these two teams. The Mets able to pull it off. Lindor steals second. Starling Marte breaks for the plate. Phillies are caught in between. They're late on returning that throw home. Marte dives in safely. The next day, the Phillies tried the exact same play, but Francisco Lindor cut down the runner at the plate. There was another instance on Sunday where the Phillies tried it, and Lindor kept the runners in check at the corners. So the Mets just fundamentally are a better baseball team. There's so many small things that you saw in this series where the Mets just did that extra little thing. They made that one play. They took the extra base on the base pass. You know, the relievers were, were solid and they were getting contributions from guys, you know, like Nate Fisher. It's just, there's the teams that are World Series contenders where every little piece kind of fits in and and causes, um, you know, that chain reaction to success, like a Michael Perez getting RBI hits. And then there's a team like the Phillies that can get that most nights, but against the best competition like the Mets, they lose 14 of the 19 games they play, and that's why they're a wild card team and not a legitimate World Series contender. But the Mets get all that offense early. Chris Bassett gave up a pair of runs in the bottom of the fifth, but that was all he would allow in six innings pitch. And the Mets got those two runs back as Brett Beatty drove in too late in that game. Beatty had a rough series overall. That was kind of his one shining moment there. Uh, but the Mets offense really did do well in that first game. Marte, Lindor, Alonzo all had multi-hit games, and they went four for 16 with runners in scoring position. Game two, once again, the Mets offensively did a nice job, and this time against Zach Wheeler. The first game, it was against Aaron Nola. Neither team scored until the fifth inning, but the Mets strung together some hits, and Michael Perez, as I've already mentioned, got that RBI knock to drive in two. In the sixth inning, Francisco Lindor tripled home Marte. Then McNeil later drove in Lindor. Zach Wheeler gives up four earned runs on this season. He has a 4.91 ERA against the Mets. Against everybody else, he has a 2.72 ERA. And the Mets are 9-0 this year against the Phillies in games that were started by Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. They're two big game pitchers, so to speak. So that just shows you the, the type of game plan the Mets can put together against a good starter. I'm going to do a podcast later this week about how the Mets are the most disciplined team in baseball offensively, and that's a perfect example. The way they've been able to get to guys like Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, um, Sandy Alcantara, to, to be able to work at bats, drive up pitch counts, find holes, situational hitting. You're not going to really get those guys when it comes to home runs and really doing a ton of damage. You got to take that collective team approach, and the Mets certainly did that. Everyone in the starting lineup got on base. Um, Ten hits, seven walks. The team went six for fourteen with runners in scoring position. They also piled on four insurance runs in the ninth. Brandon Nimmo had an RBI double, Stalin Marte an RBI single, Darren Ruff a sack fly, and McNeil another RBI uh, with a single. Game three, the the Mets bats were quiet. Bailey Falter really <laughs> kept them at bay. Uh, three hits for the Mets in that game, four walks, 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. But still, you look at this series as a whole, that was the only game this Mets team struggled offensively. And you look back at what they've done since Daniel Vogelback came into the lineup, 
it still remains the best offense in baseball. So I know there was all the concerns about the way the Mets offense fared in that series against the Braves and the previous series against the Phillies where the bats didn't really come alive until the last game. Now we've seen, once again, the, the team put together good at bats, have a good game plan, score a bunch of runs uh, across the series. I think Mark Canna is swinging it really well right now, obvious by the two home runs. But when you have Canna going, McNeil as high as he is, Lindor, Marte, uh, they got enough guys that are going well right now, even with someone like Pete Alonso struggling. The lineup is getting enough production top to bottom that this team can keep on rolling, and they're not going to face a team in the Yankees where they're going to have a huge pitching matchup edge uh, if it ultimately is Scherzer and DeGrom. That's what the slate is supposed to be right now, though the Mets have not announced for sure if DeGrom will start game two. Game one will be Domingo Herman versus Scherzer. Uh, you got to love the Mets' chances there. And then Frankie Montes, who hasn't been fantastic since the trade deadline with the Yankees, will be going in game two. And we'll be talking about that throughout the week. But I want to close the show today focusing in on Trevor Williams. He has played a really vital role in the Mets. He's been really underrated. And so I want to give him some shine here. He is in the midst of the longest scoreless inning streak the Mets have this season from any of their pitchers. If you would have said on a team that has Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, Chris Bassett, all of these big-name former All-Stars, that it would be Trevor Williams who has the longest scoreless inning streak. I think anyone would have thought it was crazy, but this is a guy that takes the ball, that attacks, and has found a lot of success this season. So I will dive into him in just a minute. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, so Trevor Williams made the spot start in game one of the doubleheader on Saturday, and he did a really nice job. But more importantly, I think when we saw Jose Budo take the ball on Sunday, we can kind of understand that value that Williams has brought. I know in general, he hasn't been great as a starter. His last two starts have really probably been his best two starts of the season. For the most part, been way more successful as a reliever. But by having Trevor Williams it has avoided any need to dip into AAA where there just isn't depth in the Mets to get guys like Budo or previously Thomas Zabucki. And you look at who's made starts this year. There's been 10 guys that have made starts for the Mets. You have the eight that you rolled into the season with as your real starter depth, which is Jacob DeGrom, uh, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, David Peterson, Tyler McGill, and then Trevor Williams in that swingman role. That's been the eight that you always knew you had. And then it's been Sabucky and Budo for these two starts. So having him in this wingman role is so valuable to the Mets. He has just stepped up time and again, hasn't complained if he doesn't pitch for 10 days, goes out there when he gets his opportunity, stays ready, and he attacks. That's the bottom line here. He has the lowest walk rate of his career this season. And you look at this scoreless inning streak, it began on July 7th, that start against the Marlins. The Mets bats, uh, you know, put up a lot of runs in a series. I believe that was the Keith Hernandez weekend um, where they struggled after this first game. But Williams goes seven scoreless, incredible performance there. Then, you know, he doesn't pitch for about a week. And then he comes in in a game the Mets are up 6 nothing against the Cubs, pitches in the seventh, and ends up getting the final three innings there to earn a save. 
Next appearance, eight days later, gets the final six outs of a game. The Mets were trailing four to one. So keeps them in it, but you know, they don't have to go to the pen and burn another arm. A week later, he gets a hold, comes in the eighth inning, scoreless inning of work. Six days later, he enters after Taiwan Walker gave up those eight runs to the Braves. It gives the Mets four scoreless. Pitched a scoreless inning five days later in a blowout win for the Mets. Then two scoreless four days later. Then he made the start this weekend where he goes four scoreless and lowers his season ERA to 2.84. I already mentioned the low walk rate. The run value on his fastball is absolutely fascinating. Run value I've talked about in the past. It is a way that you can kind of understand how effective a pitch has been. It takes the outcome that you get on the pitch. So let's just say bases loaded, Trevor Williams goes to the fastball with one out and he gets a double play ball. The run value is going to go up or, or he's going to save runs on that pitch because you take the expected runs based on that situation, which one out bases loaded, the other team's expected to score. The double play ball happens off the fastball and that gives you that net result in the run value the runs that he saved by using that pitch. That's kind of the simplest way to understand what run value is. But the, the basic of it is it's explaining how many runs a pitcher has either either saved or given up on a pitch. So this year, the run value on his fastball is minus 15. He saved 15 runs, so to speak, by the effectiveness of his fastball. Do you know that Trevor Williams, based on this metric, has the third best fastball in baseball? At a time where guys are maintaining velocity at 97, 98 plus for an entire start, where you have relief pitchers who have 102 or 103 in the tank, when the game is getting so alien with the way that these pitchers are able to fire their fastballs, where guys are getting seven and a half feet extension like Bailey Falter is, here's Trevor Williams, who is just... Firing 91 with some movement, and he's getting outs nonstop at the pitch. No one's squaring up his fastball, and the only fastballs in baseball that have been better than Trevor Williams this year is Justin Verlanders and Carlos Rodon, two of the most electric starting pitchers in baseball. It, it doesn't add up, and I think Trevor Williams is the perfect example of just things going right for a team that is in the midst of a magical season because you look at his expected FIP, his expected ERA, he shouldn't be pitching to a 2.84 ERA this year. Like it's not like his stuff is that incredible that he has rediscovered something and next year he's going to be in a starting rotation pitching to a sub three ERA. He's pitching in a lot of low leverage spots, but to have a guy that can just go out there, throw strikes, and can be deployed in multiple roles as a Swiss Army knife for a manager like Buck Showalter, who is really good at kind of understanding how to get through each respective series, has a really good idea of not only how to get through today, but to always think about tomorrow and the next couple of days, to always have a Williams in his back pocket. It has been vital to this Mets team, and it's no reason to put a whole referendum back on that trade, right? The Javi Baez, Pete Crow Armstrong trade. But it does show you the value of a throw-in piece in a trade sometimes if you can get a major leaguer. And that's what Trevor Williams is. He's a major league pitcher. If nothing else, that is what he is. 
Is he a great starter? No. Is he at best probably a fourth or a fifth starter? Is that like the the best season you would get out of Trevor Williams? Is that maybe the expectation? Probably. He's never going to be a frontline starter, I don't think, in his career at this point. But he's going to have a long career, and, and this season in particular could extend his career even more because he's proving that in a role on a competitive team, he can wear multiple hats and pitch a, a lot of innings for you um, and, and bring a lot of value. And I think you know Ron Darling said it best too. It, it, there's something to be said about a pitcher that you know, doesn't seem to care about their stats that goes into the game and attacks hitters. And, and that's what Trevor Williams does. He attacks, he throws strikes, and he's also proven that 91 miles per hour is still enough velocity if you locate your pitches, if you change your speeds, if you sequence well, you can find success in the big leagues without that, you know, alien stuff we're seeing from guys like Jacob DeGrom and others around baseball. That's going to be all, though, for today's edition of Locked On Mets. As I've already mentioned, it's a great series victory there. You got the Subway Series ahead against this Yankees team that has been struggling greatly lately. Uh, We'll see if the Mets can come through with a couple of these games, and we'll have a ton of coverage, not only of that, but of some of the top performers on the Mets this week. We're going to be doing deep dives into Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil, and also why this offense is the most disciplined in baseball. As always, make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ficklestein Ryan. Follow the show at Locked On Mets. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Now for your second listen, check out Locked On MLB, hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan. Locked On MLB is where you want to go to stay up to date with everything going on in Major League Baseball. You can follow Locked On MLB wherever you get podcasts.